the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, I have three law degrees. I have my JD, and I'm a master of the laws of both intellectual property law and taxation law. Now, because of my education, my training, my life's experiences, and my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance, and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. Again, because at bottom, in my opinion, Bankruptcy law is all about the reclamation, redemption, and revitalization of the economic lives of temporarily financially distressed individuals, families, and business owners. But again, it's only for those financially distressed family units and or business entities that are led by honest human beings. I also practice related areas of law, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law and the foundational facts and guiding principles related to personal, familial, and small business finance as my focus, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, economic independence, and economic autonomy of women, people of color, communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and also helped create one with my former spouse, I know firsthand how hard it can be economically to be a citizen soldier in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system. And I'm also proud to say that I, because of my experiences as both a brat and the creator of a military brat, I proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And if the situation is right, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you can imagine that's running rampant today. And unfortunately, it's impacting more and more military veterans who fall into that category. 
So I'm coming to you again today to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully to provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help, the qualified professional help that I believe you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your other assets. So, In honor of Veterans Day that we commemorated this past Thursday, November 11, 2021, I want to share with you all information about a bill that was authored by Congressman, Marine, and Iraqi veteran Seth Moulton, who's a Democrat from Massachusetts and was introduced in Congress on Veterans Day by Moulton and House Majority Whip James E. Clyburn, who's a Democrat from South Carolina and who happens to be the third in command in the Democratic Party in Congress, that is to say after Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who's a Democrat from California, and House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, who's a Democrat from Maine. The bill is entitled the Sergeant Isaac Woodard Jr. and Sergeant Joseph H. Maddox. GI Bill Restoration Act of 2021, also known more simply as the GI Bill Restoration Act of 2021. Now, it represents a new legislative effort that would benefit surviving spouses and all living descendants of black World War II veterans whose families were denied the opportunity to build wealth with housing and educational benefits through the GI Bill. Now, since 1944, those benefits have been offered to millions of veterans who are transitioning to civilian life. But due to racism and discrimination in how they were granted through the local Veterans Affairs offices back home in their individual states, many black World War II veterans received substantially less money towards purchasing a home, starting a business, or continuing their educations. Now, before we move forward, here's some facts as gathered by the research of Associated Press reporters Aaron Morrison and Kat Stanford. After returning from the war, black and white veterans faced two very different realities. Because the GI Bill benefit had to be approved by the local VA office, few of whom were black, that is to say the officers manning the VA offices, the process created problems for veterans. This was particularly acute in the Deep South, where most of us came from, where Jim Crow segregation imposed racist barriers to home ownership and education, which are the primary tools one needs to enhance your income and your wealth. Now, local VA offices were... All right, go. Okay. Local VA officers 
there in these particular offices made it difficult for black veterans to access their benefits or they lessened the benefits by steering them away from predominantly white four-year colleges and towards vocational and other non-degree programs. Meanwhile, the nation's historically black colleges and universities saw such a significant increase in enrollment amongst black veterans that these schools were forced to turn away tens of thousands of prospective students, even though they had the ability to pay through their veterans um, um, uh, awards, there was no place for them to get an education. So, one of the parties, which the bill is named for, Sergeant Joseph Maddox, one of two World War II veterans that Moulton and Claiborne named their bill after, was denied tuition assistance by his local VA office, despite being accepted into a master's degree program at Harvard University. Now, when it came time to pay the bill, the government just said no, according to Uh, Representative Mouton, who himself attended Harvard on the GI Bill. It actually is pretty emotional for vets who've gone through this themselves and, like myself, know what a difference the GI Bill made in our lives. Now, the bill is also named for Sergeant Isaac Woodup Jr., a World War II veteran from Winsboro, South Dakota, who was brutally beaten and blinded by a small-town police chief back in 1946 after returning home from the war. The acquittal of his attackers by an all-white jury, sound familiar, helped spur the integration of U.S. Armed Services in 1948. In contrast to the treatment of black veterans, the GI Bill helped home ownership rates soar among white veterans in post-war housing. There was a post-war housing boom that created a ripple effect for their children and grandchildren to continue and to, um, to continue to benefit from those GI Bill awards many years ago. Now, of the more than 3,000 VA home loans that had been issued to veterans in Mississippi, the state where my folks come from, in the summer of 1947, only two, two VA home loans went to black veterans, according to the government's own statistics. (laughs) That was printed and published in Ebony Magazine based on a survey that it took. Now, the Federal Housing Administration's racist housing policy also impacted black World War II veterans, undoubtedly fueling today's racial wealth gap, typically referred to as redlining. That's where realtors and banks would refuse to show homes or offer mortgages to qualified home buyers in certain neighborhoods because of their race or ethnicity. Preliminary analysis of the historic data suggests that black and white veterans access their benefits at similar rates, and this is according to Maria Madison, who is the director of the Institute of Economic and Racial Equity at Brandeis University, who has researched the impact of racial inequities in the administration of the GI Bill and its benefits. 
However, because of institutional racism and other barriers, black veterans were more limited in the ways in which they could use their benefits. As a result, the cash equivalent of those benefits was only 40% of what white veterans received. So after adjusting for inflation and for market returns, the amount, that is to say, that is the difference between the value of the GI Bill to a white veteran and that to a black veteran was $170,000 per veteran. And you have, if you've heard that number before, that explains the discrepancy in wealth between white Americans and black Americans. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion on the GI Restoration Act of 2021. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we examine some of the components of the GI Bill Restoration Act of 2021. But first, you know, I've heard from some of you out there in radio land, some young people and some old people. And I've come to the conclusion that evidently we're not teaching uh, about how and why there is a need for us to understand the integration of the military. So some people don't even know when it took place, which I think is a shame because, you know, maybe because I grew up a military brat and this is something that I eat and drink and breathe every day. And I was also married to a professional soldier. I don't understand why it's not taught because it was taught when I was in school. Now, I'm going to ask you all a question. Some of you say that the U.S. military was integrated under President Truman, and others say it was integrated under President Eisenhower. What do you think? Well, here's the answer. Both were involved to some degree. The executive order that integrated the military was signed into law by President Truman in 1948. However, Truman's order did not disintegrate the military. Did not desegregate the military. <laughs> it started the process, so I give Truman some credit. The military did not become fully integrated until 1954 and beyond. Eisenhower took the oath of office on January 20th, 1953. In October 1953, the Army announced that it was about 95% integrated. When Truman appointed a commission to integrate, and, and how he did that was he wanted this panel to investigate the impact and logistics. By the time he left office, they had only begun the research. And you know the catalyst that really caused the Army to integrate? and therefore the rest of the military, was the South Korean War. And that was because there were huge casualties amongst the white troops who were in the forefront. As such, it required the Negro soldiers, as we were known then, now we're black people, in order to maintain the troop strength. 
That's what happened back in the Civil War as well. So Eisenhower, out of necessity, advocated the integration as a general while he was in World War II, and as president, he pushed his former military peers to move forward with the integration post-haste because of what was going on in Korea. So, as such, both deserve credit. However, the history sometimes gives full credit to Truman, while Eisenhower is never mentioned at all. And actually, it might be best said that it should be the other way around. So let's look at some of the particulars of this new GI Bill. So in, basically, in theory, the GI Bill represents a promise from the country to the people who fought on its behalf that their sacrifices would be rewarded with an opportunity to attend college and build generational wealth. In practice, generations of black veterans of World War II and their descendants were robbed of this promise because of Jim Crow laws and wide racial disparities in the bill's implementation. Now, this is according to uh, um, Representative Moulton and Clyburn. So they go on to say in their joint uh, statement, in honor of Veterans Day, 77 years later, they introduced this legislation in the House, and they partnered with Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock, who's a Democrat from Georgia, and he's set to introduce the bill in the Senate. This legislation is designed to begin to repair the damage, and that's why it's named after Sergeant Wooder, and who was denied access to uh, Harvard because the government refused to pay his tuition, and uh, Sergeant Maddox who came back from the war and was blinded by police action and the individuals who blinded him were let off without having to do any time. So again, the bill is a name for these two World War veterans who exemplify the indignities African-American veterans faced after serving their country. We all know the GI Bill lifted up generations of World War II veterans and built the American century. It's been called the most successful piece of legislation ever, but most Americans don't know that many black veterans were left out, denied benefits, denied homes, denied the generational wealth that comes from going to college. This according to Congressman Seth Moulton, who is the author of the bill. We can never fully repay those American heroes, but we can fix this going forward for their families. While our generations didn't commit this wrong, we should be committed to making it right. This legislation honors our nation's commitment to American vets. And then um, Mr. Clyburn says... I was a young student when President Truman integrated the armed forces in response to the blinding of Sergeant Woodard, and that stuck with me throughout my life. We must rectify what happened not only to Sergeant Woodard, but to all black World War II veterans who were treated unjustly when they returned home from serving their country and were denied GI benefits. We all know that the quickest way to build wealth is through education and home ownership. So many black families were denied this path to the middle class. 
It is important to acknowledge this injustice and help address the wealth gap that ex was exacerbated by the government's failure to fulfill its promise to all World War II veterans, no matter whether they be black or white. So what are some of the components of this bill? It extends access to the VI Loan Guarantee Program to the surviving spouses and certain direct descendants of black World War II veterans who are, who are alive at the time of the bill's enactment. So it's not enacted yet. It's just been put on the table. But hopefully the bill will be enacted. And so the the cutoff point will be those who are alive at the time of the bill's enactment. Two, it extends access to post-9-11 GI Bill educational assistance benefits to surviving spouses and certain direct descendants of black World War II veterans, again, who are alive at the time the bill is enacted. Three, it requires the Government Accounting Office to develop a report outlining the number of individuals who receive the educational and housing benefit, and four, it establishes a blue ribbon panel of independent experts to study inequalities in the distribution of benefits and to assist those uh, administered to female and minority members of the Air Force, the Armed Forces, and provide recommendations on additional assistance to repair those inequities. So this Blue Ribbon Panel is going to uh, survey the field and come up with recommendations to um, repair inequities. Now, as I've shared with some of you in the past, I am a big daddy's girl. And my dad was not only a hero to me, he was a real live hero during the Korean War. And the, the reason why this means so much to me is when he came back, he went and, and got out of the service, he went back to Mississippi, and he and my uncle started their own business without much help from the Veterans Administration. But the part that I didn't know about what had happened to my dad until I became an adult was that I, the reason why I met my dad when I was two years old, it's not because my parents were separated because their marriage wasn't working. He was in Korea, and when he came back from Korea, he was part of the experiment that Eisenhower used to fully integrate the service. My dad got a battlefield commission he led troops that were primarily black, or all black, and when he got on the boat to come back to America, he stayed on the boat, his troops got off, and he became one of the first officers and non-commissioned officers to lead white troops. And some pretty terrible things happened to him, but nonetheless, he persevered. And that is passed on to me. So, I am just pleased as punch that the government is looking into this. Now, just as with the black farmers and just as with the women who the Restaurant Act was supposed to help, I'm sure if this bill passes, somebody's going to say it's unconstitutional. Because you know, it, while it well, is unconstitutional to what happened to blacks and browns and women soldiers before, 
it seems to be unconstitutional to remedy it. But I'm going to keep a good thought, and that's why I'm talking to you young folks. You need to consider going into the law, not because it's a great place to be, but because if you learn the law, you might be able to use your skills to help push this kind of legislation through, and when it becomes uh, sued for being discriminatory, you might be able to be on the on the um, legal team that fights back. Now, well, we're going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing, we like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including laws that will allow our service members to enjoy the full array and pl- panoply of benefits this country has bestowed upon them or should have bestowed upon them and should be bestowed upon them regardless of either their race or gender. But in the meantime, until we get together again, please get vaccinated until we have herd immunity. And in the meantime, please keep your social distance. And no matter what anybody says, when you're out and about, mask up and wash your hands. Till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.